This episode of The Table Podcast is brought to you by Southern Fusion Barbecue Sauce. You can pick up some of that spicy southern sweetness at southernfusionbbq.com. You're listening to The Table Podcast. This is more than just a podcast. It's a place we want to have beneficial, informative, and entertaining conversations, all from a Christian worldview. So thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can join the conversation, too, by emailing us at thetablepodcastsc at gmail.com. The podcast starts in three, two. One. Alex, it's cool to have you, man. Thank you uh, for, for kind of hanging out with me today. Do me this favor. Um, you and I know each other for a while. Well, and by a while, what, about two or three years now? It might be longer than that. It might be like six or seven years. Six or seven? Yeah, you're getting old, Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> no, I mentioned this just about on every podcast I've done, but I'm turning 40 this year. So. Ooh. Yep. It's all downhill from there. Yep. Yep. It's um, a guy I had on uh, a couple of podcasts ago. He, he did. Um, he talked about it. He said it hurts a little more when the front number changes. Um, so, hey, man, 30 coming for you. You, you ain't going to stay 20 in your 20s forever. How close are you? I got, a, I got a little while. How close are you to 30 right now? I'm 23. Oh, so I met you like when you were 17. Yeah. That's not <laughs> even fair. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So. Um, Alex, welcome to the table, first and foremost, insert clap track here. Um, but I'll just take a couple of seconds. And of course, thank you for joining me. Joining me. You're all, you're all the way, uh, we're doing this through zoom. Um, I'm, I'm always like, I'm, I'm very OCD about audio quality. So I couldn't come to your apartment. I could, you couldn't come to where I work. And so we just had to make do, um, but Hey, uh, just tell everybody a little bit about yourself where you're, uh, of course, where you're from. And then uh, what you're kind of currently doing, and we're going to dive into uh, a little bit of the other stuff as well. Well, my name's Alex. I'm from Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. Uh, I went to Clemson, uh, graduated from there, uh, and then got a job in Rapid City, South Dakota. So that's where I'm living now as a sports reporter for the Rapid City Journal, about so what, 30 minutes what, from Mount Rushmore. So <laughs> what? So you're like right there, so a day trip. You could probably drive to Mount Rushmore right now, could you? Oh, yeah. It's just an afternoon trip. That's not even a day trip. Oh, so it'd kind of be like me driving to Clemson right now from Spartanburg. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Just a day trip. A little um, closer. A little closer. It'd be like you driving to Greenville from, from Spartanburg. For real? Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so college sports. What's uh, Moving from the heart, the belt buckle, the Bible belt, to South Dakota, um, how do they feel about college sports out there? Uh, I mean, there are college sports out here. It's just the – the bigger schools, University of South Dakota, the Coyotes, and uh, the South Dakota State Jackrabbits, those okay. are both on the east side of the state, like way on the east side of the state. So uh, SDSU is in Vermilion. Right. Or, or no, SDSU is in Brookings and USD is in Vermilion. So those are both like four hours away from me. So over here, it's like they care about high school sports a lot. Right. They'll pull for the Jackrabbits or the Coyotes. Is hockey, uh, is hockey a big thing? Uh, we got minor league hockey over here. There's a the Rapid City Rush. Everybody <laughs> seems to care about that. They okay. get pretty decent crowds. We have two Division two schools here, okay. Black Hill State and South Dakota Mines. And Black Hill State went to the Final Four in the D2 men's tournament. So right. that was cool. Right. Uh, and that's up in Spearfish. That's like an hour away from here. So so here's, here's what's like amazed me about you. Um, and fascinated me about you because you are you were the kid that now correct me where I'm wrong. 
you started really kind of doing your sports writing thing at about the age of 11, right? Yeah. 11, 11 years old. What sparked that interest? Well, I don't know. I mean, I even think back to when I was even younger than that, when I was like eight or nine, we had a video camera or whatever, you know, one of the old school ones uh, that you, you make all the whole videos with. And I set it up in my room and pretended like I was on ESPN and stuff like a little nerd. Uh, so my, my interest in this stuff started like at a really young age. I mean, right. even when I was, when I was in kindergarten, my dad would, I'd get my dad to wake me up in the morning before we went to work so that I could watch sports center. Oh, wow. <laughs> like now, yeah. other now, kids are watching cartoons and I was watching sports center. And I bet you, I bet. Okay. All right. That explains a lot now. So you, what was kind of your first, you started this thing at 11. So what did you start doing at 11 years old in, in the world of sports writing? Yeah, so I think it in 2010. So I may have just turned 12. Anyway, but what what I kind of started doing, I got an iPod for Christmas that year, and a few weeks later, I like started a you know a free website and a YouTube channel, and started like making these little recap videos. I think my first one, me and Caleb, my little brother, he was like six at the time. We just like walked through the scores of the bowl games that happened that weekend, and. So what, kind of started what's the, there, and then it's it snowballed from there. I I got to do a lot of other stuff after that. What's the first? What's this first sporting event that you remember um, covering or or highlighting or talking about? Uh, the first event that I covered that I was credentialed at was the historically black colleges and universities classic at Floor Field between Voorhees and Claflin. Oh wow! The baseball okay. game. So that was the first event that I covered. Uh, right, but, but I'm, ta- I'm talking about like 11. What do you, what do you remember? 11, 12? I, I was 11. I was or I was I was 12 years old at that game. That was when you got credentials going to that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that was April the following year. So that was you know four months, five months later. So how how did you go about to to a kid that maybe listening to this? You know, how did you go about getting credentials at 11 years old? Well, the first one I got really lucky. Uh, there was a guy that worked with my dad uh, that was an umpire, and he did a lot of the HBCU baseball games and stuff. And he reached out to the drive people and said, hey, because the, the Greenville Drive was running credentials for that. And, right. Uh, reached out to them and said, hey, there's this kid that's doing this thing, and I think he may you know, may come to this event if you guys gave him a credential. And they you know, set it up, and I got to go. Uh, and then from there – I just made connections. I met Eric Drinko that uh, he was the media contact for the Greenville drive. Then now he's the general manager for the drive. Uh, and he told me I could come to anything at four field as long as I was working. Um, and then I came to the Clemson Furman baseball game there uh, a little bit later. And uh, Hunter Reed from Furman said that I could come to anything at Furman as long as I was working. Uh, okay. And then Brian Hennessy at Clemson said I could come to Clemson baseball game. So it just kind of snowballed. I just, right. You know, hit, Find my way in the other rooms. Yeah, and these 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 people that gave you these credentials, I'm guessing the the sports information guys. Um, yeah, they they continually started to see you show up, and so they were like, okay, this this Dodd kid's going to be here, so we're not wasting a credential by giving it to him. And, right, I was actually working, so oh, I, th- wow. I think that's probably the biggest thing. Is like, you know, I feel like a lot of kids, even you know, Sports Illustrated does like the Sports Illustrated kid that gets to go to the right games and stuff like that, and you know, talking to like Will Vandervoort, that was my old boss at, at the Clemson Insider. I was talking to him about it one time, and he said, "He said, yeah, we've seen those other kids come through through programs like that before, but they're all, you know, 
kind of being fans and you were actually working at 12. So that was kind of the, I guess, the differentiating right. factor. I was like making little video recaps and interviewing right. coaches and, and that kind of thing. I was trying to, I thought I was a professional at 12. Right. You know, that yeah. was my mind. Well, you, you, that probably helped you too because you carried yourself as a professional and you operated as a professional. And you see this kid walking in with, you know, press credentials at, at 12 years old and he's acting like he's 19, 20, 21 years old reporting. It's like, okay, yeah, this kid's so it's, – it's funny because you probably had a college education when it came to, to staff writing and, and doing sports reporting by the time you went to college. Well, yeah, that's the other thing is like, you know, I was a religious studies major at Clemson. <laughs> I wasn't a communications major and there's no journalism major at Clemson, but right. I kind of took – I thought I was taking the path of least resistance, but I think I just put myself in a more challenging major. Yeah. Uh, but I had on-the-job training. You know, I was right. I was working for the Clemson Insider while I was in school, and I had done everything I'd done before. So I had on-the-job training to where I didn't need a formal journalism education. I think it actually helped me. I mean, yeah. I think it's helping me in my job now that I was I was trained on the job, not. In a classroom. So you, you, so you graduated. You finally graduated Clemson. That was a joke. After four and a half years, I <laughs> <laughs> hey, I completed North Greenville at four and a half. So I'm not gonna. I shouldn't make fun of you. Um, but congratulations. I haven't like physically said, "Hey, man, congratulations on graduation." But you also have recently got engaged. Um, yep. Right. So have y'all set a date yet? Yeah, June 18th. So you're coming back to South Carolina, or y'all gonna get married in South Dakota? I'm coming back to South Carolina on like June. 15th and then getting married June 18th and then we're don't want to know what we're doing for a honeymoon yet but I I have a week off before I go back to work so okay. all right hey that's are y'all getting married on a Friday or Saturday a Saturday okay all right sweet my, um, my number one qualifier was you know as a person who works in sports I could not get married in the fall yeah um, or in the uh, spring because I there would be a time that would come up where I would be away for some trip or working and that just wouldn't be good for an anniversary from everything uh, uh, I've heard from, from married people. Yeah. You're, I feel like you're directing that towards me there, Alex, um, because <laughs> McKenna and I got married on August 31st, 2013. That was um, the, the night that Clemson and Georgia played in death Valley, the Taj yep. Boyd. I was at the game song. and you were getting married. Yes. Yes. And you your, father-in-law was, your father-in-law was probably very upset with you for choosing that date too. No, he wasn't. <laughs> because it, here's here's how we did it. We set it up, and literally, it was funny because we I think the the time of the ceremony was like three o'clock, and so we flipped the the area that we had the ceremony into a reception area, and so we short ceremony thirty twenty thirty minutes, you know, nothing really big and drawn out, and we flipped the the venue for the reception, and we had to leave from the reception early because so many people from Athens were going home or, or leaving to go home to get set up to watch the first football game of the year. And so that was, that was interesting. But anyway, um, y'all wheel the TVs in. Y'all wheel TVs no, 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 no. We, we actually, we actually finished everything and, and McKenna and I had, we left and, and we actually, I actually watched the last couple of plays of that football games. <laughs> Yeah, I'm about to say you didn't watch that. <laughs> on, on my wedding night. <laughs> <Got married. laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I, it was funny because um, I looked at McKenna and I was like, hey, can I turn the TV on just for a second? She's like, yes, check the score. And it was such a memorable moment because ESPN had panned to that corner of Death Valley and Mark Rick had his arm around Aaron Murray and Todd Gurley. Was it Todd Gurley? I think it was Todd Gurley. 
Um, anyway, it was Aaron Murray and who, whichever running back that was out of jail at that time. And they were walking, they were walking into the locker room with their heads hung low. And I just started laughing, you know, a silent chuckle. And she was shut up, turn the TV, don't say anything. I was like, okay. I stood up and I was like, man, this is the best day of my life. Anyway. Um, <laughs> All I remember about that game, I remember two things. Well, I remember a lot of things about that game, but some things that stand out right. at the beginning of the game that you didn't see when right. Clemson ran down the hill, Georgia decided to do this really dumb thing that people do when they play Clemson, where they'll go over and, you know, try to get in their face when they come yeah. down the hill. Oh, and every man. time that happens, Clemson opens up a can on somebody. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the first thing. Second thing was there's a Georgia fan barking in my ear that set the tone. I was like, how old was I then? 13, 14? All I remember, I, that's set the tone for how I feel about Georgia fans. <laughs> then I met Tim Vaughn, and it just, you know, it just made it even yeah. worse. <laughs> yeah. And that's, uh, that's our mutual tie um, is, is my father-in-law and he was your pastor for a, a what about two year span. Um, yeah. So let's, let's talk about that too. Cause Jesus is a big part of your life as well. Um, yeah. So how, you know, when did you come to know, when did you, you know, surrender your life to Christ? Um, how does Jesus kind of play into what you do? Yeah. So I grew up in a, a family that, you know, every time the doors were open, we were there. Uh, you know, we were always at church that it was something that, at a really young age, especially was like a big emphasis in my home uh, was that, you know, we, we pursued the Lord. That was, that was something that was emphasized, especially when I was a little kid. So I went to a Christian school uh, in elementary school at Hampton park. Uh, and then we went to Bonnegan uh, from yeah. the, the time that I was born. Uh, so, you know, every time the doors were open, I was there, I had a, a really good knowledge of, of the Bible, even at a really young age because of that, right. because, you know, I had good Sunday school teachers and the, my teachers at Hampton Park. Uh, I mean, I think they did a really great job of, you know, just teaching the Bible uh, at that school. Um, so at eight years old, I was at a, uh, you know what Bible Man is? I do know what Bible Man is. <laughs> I was at a Bible Man live show. I think it was at Spartan, I think it was at Spartanburg First Baptist. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was at that and they did like a gospel, you know, presentation and, you know, I went forward and to the best of my like, you know, little eight year old knowledge of myself, I knew that I was a sinner and needed a savior, uh, repented then, you know, that led, I think getting saved at a, a young age led to some difficulties as I got older because, I, you know, was the worst sin I'd committed when I was eight years old. I probably stole Lego from the church or something, you know, that I right. hadn't experienced a lot of, a lot of sin then. Uh, and it, I think, that kind of played into some rebellion in, in high school uh, where I was kind of running from the Lord. Right. Uh, and then at that, at that point in time is when, you know, Tim came in at, at Monaghan uh, at a really crucial time for me when I was like a, a junior in high school yeah. or he may have got there when I was, yeah, I think he got there when I was a senior. Right. Um, but right around that time, I was just going through some repentance. I went on a couple mission trips that year uh, with Will Snipes to Ecuador and China that were really uh, impactful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just hearing consistent gospel teaching at church uh, for really the the first time in my life that I heard wow. expositional preaching consistent. Wow. Not it that kinda, it was kind of cool. Like yeah, it's kind of it's yeah. kind of water to a dry soul a little bit. Yeah, and it's not it's not a knock on on anybody else that was preaching the way that they thought that right. preaching was supposed to be done, but uh, to have expositional teaching where we're like, you know, for an hour, we're like yeah. in the thick of it, you know? Right. 
was was super impactful for me and and really changed my life. And uh, around that time, I I met the friends that uh, you know would be my friends for the rest of college. I met them that summer actually through uh, some new spring stuff. Uh, right. I started, I started hanging out with some of my really close friends or one of my really close friends that was super involved in new spring, new spring. And, uh, that's how I met the friends I had in college. And I went there for uh, a couple of years and then, you know, met Rachel ended up at uh cross point church is where she went. Right. Uh, she actually works there is on staff and, uh, finishing seminary. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, I decided to move to South Dakota, you know, a lot of highs and lows in between yeah. there. That's just the bare bones of, you know, how I met Jesus. But I guess you asked about in terms of how it affects my work now is, you know, there are not a lot of people in, I guess, just creative fields in general. Right. That are pursuing the Lord. Yeah. It's, it's not super popular to be a Christian and be a journalist. Or creative that, that much, you know, like yeah. it, it, it really is like, that's one of the things that I've, I've noticed, like kind of doing this venture here is that, um, yeah, they're, they're it's very polarized. There are either you're a Christian that does political style talk or you're like exegetical teaching, preaching style podcast. There's there's nothing like in the middle where we're like, hey, here is a interesting kid. And I say kid because you're like a kid to me, Alex. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but who's you've grind like that's the thing that, that gets me about you, man. You, you started with nothing. You started like, and, and I'm not like, oh, poor pitiful Alex, you know, cardboard box, you know, please spare some change, Alex. <laughs> but like, you just pursued a passion and you worked your butt off. Yeah, I'll say butt because it's my podcast. Um, but you worked your butt off in order to get where you are now. And like, um, yeah, you're writing for a, a paper in, in South, South Dakota. Like, yeah, you had to move, but like, you're making it happen for yourself, man. And I think that's what believers need to hear, especially, especially some Christians, man. Like they're like, yes, God gives you talents and, and blesses you, you know, and, and, and all those things, but, but go, go and read the parable of the talents because, you know, he distributed equal talents to money to, you know, the story of the farmer and, and the farmer distributed equal, you know, means to, to different people. And, it's, you know, what did they do with it? And so, man, you've taken what God's given you, your love for writing, your love for sports, and you've glorified him. And so, like, I agree with you totally. The, the world of arts definitely needs more creatives that love Jesus because it, it's, it's, his, it's his art, period, regardless of whether they acknowledge it or not, acknowledge him or not. So, sorry, you got me on a little, little soap. Oh, box. no, you're good. Sorry about but- that, man. One of the things that I, you know, kind of had to think through, I, I think especially like in my sophomore year uh, of college, about the time when Tim left Monaghan right. and I was, you know, I ended up being the interim youth pastor for a little bit, which was really tough and right. really fun and, you know, everything in between. But there was a, a time period there where, you know, I was kind of thinking, I was like, you know, am I, am I called to go into full-time ministry or am I mm-hmm. called to, to go into journalism? And, uh, I kind of my general outlook when people ask me, you know, what's your goals or career aspirations or whatever. I, right. I say that I'm going to do this as long as I, you know, as long as it's something that I love to do and I feel like I'm being effective. Well, here's the cool thing too. At the end of the, the show that I did with Tim, I asked him, I said, Hey, um, if you were to go back and tell your younger self, your youth pastor self, a little bit of wisdom, you know, what would that wisdom be? And he was like, I would tell myself to learn a trade. And so, Wherever the Lord takes you here at this point, man, 
um, you have an, a, a great trade that can always be there because people, you know, in the United States, people are always going to be eager to hear and know about what happened at the game last night. So um, that's cool, man. I, I think what um, I'm personally jealous of, but I've also kind of benefited from is your involvement with the Clemson Insider because um, over your, your time writing and doing uh, work for them, You've hooked me up with some pretty cool memorabilia stuff. Um, it's just been press stuff, but I'm still thankful to have programs and stuff like that from the Cotton Bowl. And so that's that's uh, thank you many times over. But um, it's a lot harder to get Christmas gifts now because I got to pay for them. <laughs> <laughs> so so let, let's do this. Um, I don't know which one I want to do first. I, I'll tell you what I'll call. I'll, I'll let you make the call. Um, do you want to talk about some of the time your time kind of doing Clemson beat writing, or do you want to kind of Talk about your top ten Clemson football moments. Uh, we can talk about my my time there, and then we can talk. We can okay. All right, let's do that. So, so you started working with the Clemson Insider when you were uh, a freshman, a freshman at Clemson. So you, you were initially assigned to what um, what teams? Yeah. So kind of the way it worked was I had met uh, Robert and Will, mm-hmm. uh, Will especially at all these events and stuff that I'd been covering. As a right. as a high schooler and middle schooler, I met them at the I met Will for the first time at the ACC kickoff in 2011 at the Grandover. Yeah, at the Grandover Resort in Greensboro. So that's wow. where I met Will for the first time. Okay. That's also where I met Coach Swe- Coach Sweeney for the thing. Okay. Um, but so anyway, you, how, how old were you? How old were you when at this point? So you're interviewing Dabo Sweeney and all these players. You were 12 years old. Yeah. So you you already were drawing attention being a young kid doing this, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It definitely turned head. The funny thing was, so I tried to ask a question to every coach and every player that I right. And it was always funny because I think actually the first year I didn't go. They used to do it. They used to have the format was different. They did players on one day and coaches on. Right. So I just went to the coaches' day the first okay. time. Um, but I tried to ask every coach a question, and it was funny because you introduce yourself. And I, you know, I was 12 and my voice hadn't her. So <laughs> I was like, hey, coach, this is Alex Dodd from Dodd Sports Network in Greenville, South Carolina. And they'd all kind of look at me like kind of laughing at first. Right. Like, oh, like this is cute. You know, this is a little kid here asking oh. questions. And then I would ask the question and they'd be like, oh, he actually <laughs> asked the question and they had to answer it. So <laughs> right. that was kind of funny. So I definitely drew attention. But that's how I met Will. And how I ended up getting the job at the Clubson Insider. The right. day I got accepted, I posted a picture of my, you know, Tiger Town bound, you know, envelope or whatever. And he called me like right when he saw it, maybe ten minutes after I posted and right. offered me a job at the Insider. That's cool. That's cool. So, so you started covering Clemson sports. Like, what what were some of the first teams? I mean, were you just kind the of in general things, coverage? Yeah, general coverage. So I think I'm trying to think what the first story I did was. I think the first story that I did was like a fan appreciation day thing. I went and like talked to some fans and okay. you know, got their thoughts on what the upcoming season was like. And then I did like, I did some women's soccer. Right. I did some, I did a lot of women's basketball my first two years. Right. Um, I did like some season preview stuff with those coaches. Right. So coach Radwanski, uh, the, uh, women or women's soccer coach at Clemson. I I did a one on one with him in his office, right. and one on one with Audra Smith, the former uh, Clemson women's basketball coach. Um, right. And then I also got to do some football. I mean, I got my first game. I think that year was Kent State. Kent State. Okay. I got a credential that game. So, um, and I worked. 
I can't remember exactly how many games that I worked that year, but I worked enough to qualify myself for uh, the playoff trip that year. So uh, you you got it so, for the Sugar Bowl. So was the sugar was it the Sugar Bowl? Did you get in? Yeah, the Alabama Sugar Bowl. The oh, let's not talk about that one. There's something. <laughs> there was there's a lot of there. I had multiple Sugar Bowl trips. So then what in the world? Was. What in the world is up with the dome? Like curse, man. It's it's a curse for us, man. It's it's like wow. we forget how to play when we go to that. Well, there's a funny story after this, the 2019 LSU uh, National Championship in the show. Which, by the uh, way, that team was bought, and if they would have investigated it, that junk would have been taken away from them. Well, sorry. Bought or not. Right. They, they, were, they were great. <laughs> bought or not. They were, un, they were ridiculous. But they were unbeatable. Were, but the thing about it is people – people. sorry, you, you, I, I know – I, I had you on to talk about it. So we're talking about Clemson football now. Sorry. You're good. Come on. Come on. Um, the thing that people forget is that Clemson came out of the gate and was up 24, what, 17, 3, 20, 21, 3, 21, 10. Clemson like had it, a couple of two-score leads. There. We had a couple of two-score leads, and it wasn't till the fourth quarter that the top came off and Joe Burrow yeah, it, just decided it, to be Joe Burrow. and Everything really started shifting in the third quarter. Yeah, uh, late in the third quarter, he hit a couple of couple of those deep balls. Jamar one, Chase, oh, this is Jamar Chase, yeah. uh, deep balls, and and it, the craziest part about that game though is I think everybody's gut reaction was, man, Clemson's defensive backs look terrible. <laughs> uh, and then you go back and watch the game, and you're like, oh my goodness, like there's a no, reason we- why AJ Terrell was a you know a highly highly touted pick after that is because he was locking those guys down and those balls were literally just perfect. Joe Burrow stays at Ohio State. Clemson does back-to-back. Maybe. maybe. Clemson goes back-to-back, man. They, but it's was the team. Then, nuts, well, but. here's the other thing, too, that's an interesting narrative that I kind of looked into after this. Mm-hmm. Anytime that the national championship game is in New Orleans, LSU has a good team. Don't start this. <laughs> Don't start it's this. It's true, man. Just look back. Just – just right. go back and look at their national championship teams and look where they won them. Right. It, that, because that first last miles national championship, uh, they won it in New Orleans. I mean, they right. just they they find a way when that national championship is coming back, they're going to be good. Whenever oh. that thing's in New Orleans, they're going to be good. It's yeah. just the way it's going to be. Yeah. So so that was you got to cover the Sugar Bowl that year, but that, yeah, was, that was Alabama that, Sugar Bowl. That was Alabama Sugar Bowl. That was Kelly Bryant's Kelly Bryant Jalen Hurts. Yeah, and so. We had a great defense. Um, what? All right. So from start to finish with that, like, what was the experience covering the Sugar Bowl? Kind of going through the, you know, take us behind the curtain a little bit as to what your routine was like, what everything that experience was like for you. Yeah. So the way that I describe the playoff trips, the semifinal game is like a marathon. Okay. And the national championship games are like a sprint. Oh so wow. We would get there. The teams get there uh, nine days before the game. Right. And we would get there the day before the team. So we got there the day before the team. We moved into our hotel. Right. You know, we got food and hung out and all that stuff the night before. Uh, the next day when the team – as soon as the team hits the, the tarmac, it's on. Mm-hmm. Cause you're going out there for the team arrival. You've got right. availability there. Um, you have all these other media availabilities during the week. Right. Um, there's a, a coach's press conference. Once they get there, you're going to practices and – making notebooks and, you know, covering what happens there. Uh, and then you've got the media day, which is two days before the game. Right. Uh, and at the media day, every player, every uh, 
assistant coach, every support staff person from both teams is available for questioning. Right. And that's a really big time uh, for sports writers because, you know, you're coming up on the dry season. Yeah. You know, you've got to have stuff to write until spring practice. So you're not just working on angles for the upcoming game. You're asking them all kinds of questions about stuff that you can write articles about later. So you're really banking up stories and that. So that's like, I mean, that, that press conference is as, as important as the game okay. because you've got to, you've got to build content for the next, you know, three months. Right. Uh, so, so going to game day and I know that's a, that's a marathon and within itself, Yeah. Um, you know, an event like the Sugar Bowl kickoff isn't till like, you know, seven o'clock, you know, eight, whatever, four yeah, o'clock, eight o'clock, whatever. You're in Central, so it's like eight, I think. Yeah. But, but so what time do y'all usually get to the stadium to start kind of reporting? Oh, and- we get to the stadium. I mean, for a big game like that, I'm getting to the stadium no later than uh, two and a half hours early. God. I don't, I don't like pushing it, man. Like, at, right. at, at stuff like that. You know, I'm late to about everything else in my life, but something where, I'm, <laughs> where somebody's paying me to do something. Yeah, I'm not paying you to do it's this. It's my so job. You right. So <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like, I got to get there. You know, I have to, you know, find out where I'm sitting, you know, get my stuff there before COVID. Right. Uh, I'd go down on the, you go down on the field pregame and watch warm ups and stuff like that and see what kind of stuff you can gather, whether it's injury notes or, or just taking in the atmosphere. Right. Um, and it, and then you you know, go back up and you're working until three hours after the game. So you know, four hours after the game. So I know from a fan's perspective, the the Sugar Bowl with Kelly Bryant was a gut punch. Like we thought, you know, we go into the ACC championship and we absolutely just railroad, you know, Miami in their turnover chain. Yeah. And then we go to the Sugar Bowl, and of course, in Alabama, didn't Alabama go on to win the national championship that year? They did. You know, they beat. Um, Georgia with Tua Tungvaloa. That's right, they did. I forget. I forget that about game, that. Yeah. yeah, and and McKenna and, didn't forget about that one. Yeah. <laughs> McKenna had not forgot about that. One. <laughs> no, no. But I, I will be quickly reminded of of what happened this year if I bring that one up. So, um, <laughs> anyway, um, exactly. Um, the 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 overall feeling. Were you around the team after that loss? Was did you get to kind of go into the press conference afterwards and all that? Yeah, at those at those you go in the locker room after. Right. Um, so you know, with seniors and stuff like that, those 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 are tough things to witness. You know, when right. guys are they just played their last game with their teammates and they lost. You right. know, uh, but you get some some really great stories out of that too. Unfortunately, you know, it's a it's a weird environment when you walk in a locker room after. After the loss, like it's a lot different when the confetti's coming oh, yeah. down. You know, Absolutely, than it is when when you're on the other side of it. So, so at that point, did you did the Power Rangers that defensive line? Did they start to show? Did they show anything in their hand about coming back? Specifically, they, Christian Wilson. Oh, Christian Wilson. Christian Wilkins. Excuse me. They left the door open, right? I think, but they, but even with them leaving the door open, it's like. These guys are, you know, first, second round picks. Absolutely, like, they're nuts to to come back. That was kind right. of the general consensus, I think. And that was before NIL too. So they, I mean, it was, you know, go get the money was was yeah. sitting right there over their shoulder. So you you, you covered. So that was 2011. Um, there was also kind of 2017. 2017. Excuse me. Sorry. 2017. I said 2011. You talked about 20. Your first game being 2011. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, old age, right? Um, so 2017, 
yeah, the frustration with Kelly Bryant in that game, but but we kind of knew what was coming. We kind of yeah. knew that Sunshine was on his way, uh, literally. And in comes Trevor Lawrence, and the rest is history. And um, you were in the midst of covering that whole season. I was at every. I was at all fifteen games, whether working or there. I was. I was at all fifteen. So so in preparation, I, I know. And, you, and by the way, you're you're. You're not just a reporter for, you know, or were a reporter for Clemson Insider. Like you were, you were on a first name basis with the head head coach himself. Like Dabo knows Alex Dodd, so there's that. Um, but not, but, I mean, it's not like you know, he it's knows not like the, you're going to go like over and drink a coke on his bar or anything like that. You know, hang out with him. It's like somebody that you are acquaintance with. I'm friends with Will. His his son Will and I are the same age, and we're friends. So. Right. Okay. Like Will will be at my wedding, dude. You you've been at his Christmas party, so there's that. Um, <laughs> anyway, you go through that first season and the quarterback war is there and Kelly, the pressure's bearing down on Kelly and Kelly's starting to break and yeah. you covered, tell, tell me about that week that, you know, that was there where Kelly left the team. Was it absolute chaos? Yes. Uh, I was at that game, the Georgia Tech game the week before, right? where that's when, that's when Trevor asserted himself as Right, the next starter, you know. Right, and I, I actually, for some some people get aggravated with the way that uh, that Dabo uh, kind of, I guess, gives priority to to the returner. But I mean, at the same time, the guy just led you to an undefeated regular season, and just right. led, you, led you to a playoff trip. It was his job to lose. Right, uh, you know, it was his job to lose. So, and he and he lost it. He, right. he played terrible at Georgia Tech and. Uh, you know, he played well. He played all right against uh, Texas A&M. Clemson doesn't win that game without him uh, at Texas right. A&M. Right. Uh, you know, he played. He didn't play well at Georgia Tech, and that's when that's when uh, Trevor took the job. So that next week, the first thing on our mind was trying to figure out. You know, is is Dabo going to name Trevor the starter? Right. But little did we know that you know Kelly Bryant was going to pack his stuff up in the middle of the day and. And head out. You know? So, so that's maybe I don't know if that's common knowledge either. Like Kelly, Kelly opened like he packed up his stuff and left. Yeah, I, yeah, it was it was a weird situation. There's still a lot that's maybe not you know set in stone about the timetable of how stuff worked there. But right. he he left in the middle of the week. Uh, so you know it it wasn't <laughs> like there was a a weekend meeting or anything like that. It was. It was kind of sudden for everybody, so we were all scrambling to try to figure out what happened. And right, yeah, I, th- I feel like we reported it really well, and you know, then the rest really is history. But <laughs> then you come out and right the next week against Syracuse, yeah, then you're, Trevor you're in goes the booth, out. <laughs> and Trevor makes that run to the sideline, and he absolutely gets hit and on his collarbone, or kind of, you know, he goes out and and in and comes. every the the craziest thing about that play, you know, he gets hit. And it's right over there in front of the the Syracuse bench. Right, and their bench went wild because they knew they knew right. that he was gone. he was gone for the game. But and little did we're all sitting there. And the funny thing is, you know, me and Will have been joke uh, Vandervoort have been joking about like, oh, you know, this is all great, but what happens if Trevor gets hurt? You know, he's a he's a skinny freshman. You know, right. I mean, he's not your average freshman, but his body's not where where he would want it to be yet to be a college quarterback. Right. And sure enough, he goes out and Chase Bryce and 
and you know, Travis Etienne do the rest. And, right. and Clemson ends up winning that game. But that game was huge. I mean, that's probably the biggest game of, of Clemson's – the most impactful game of Clemson's season. And that's a season where every game was right. felt like it was like that. You, you, know? you don't win that game and you don't go on to, to beat Bama. And, like, that's – you know, now, would we have had an outsider's chance? Yeah, we would have had an outsider's chance. But we would have still – you know, the positioning within the playoff – would have been different and you don't know. I mean, that's, that's also the year of the 30 beat down of Ohio state, which that's kind of my second favorite team to beat down anytime we get a chance. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of momental, uh, monumental moments, not momental monumental moments of that year. But like we, we go through, we win the ACC Trevor's finally named the starter. You go through, you're covering all of that. So in the regular yeah. season, what, what's a moment that sticks out to you as a reporter that you kind of knew, hey, this team was going to be pretty stinking special. Well, I mean, honestly, I think, you know, once you once you found out that Trevor was coming back after that Syracuse game, yeah, that was, I think, the point where, you know, the teams that win national championships are teams that just find a way. They just right. find a way to win. Like that 2019 LSU team, the whole year, they just, you know, found a way to win. Uh, you know, the Georgia this year. They they just found a way to win. You know, whether it was JT Daniels or you know Stetson Bennett or whatever, they found a way to win. Just did it. I think that was that was one of many moments for that team where it's like these guys are just going to find a way to win. Right. Um, And then you know they come out and uh, in the playoff and you know they roll Notre Dame and then they go and and beat Alabama forty four to sixteen. And I was there for both of those too, and it was, it was I, awesome. I, I specifically like remember you being in because uh, I was I was spending time with my family. It was over New Year's. I was spending time with Tim and Kim, and we knew you were in Dallas. What was that experience, man? Because there's not a lot of people that like know what it's like to walk into Jerry World and get to cover the Tigers from that perspective. Oh man, the thing about Jerry World is when you're there, you're not watching the field. You're watching that video board. It's like that thing is insane, man. Yeah. And the, the stadium is so cool. Uh, it was, I love Dallas. Dallas is a cool town. Uh, that's right. one of my favorite trips that I made. Uh, Rachel's and her parents were on that trip too. So I got to hang out with her. And that's cool. And that was cool. But that, just that video board is miraculous. <laughs> it's, right. it's ginormous and it's hard to watch the field because it's just everything looks so much better up there. Right. <laughs> So, so arguably, I mean, based on that Notre Dame game in the Cotton Bowl, the the first half was a better game than the national championship was. Now, I, I get it; it's Alabama. It's still, it's still a bully beatdown. <laughs> it was still a bully beatdown on both in both games. And and you look back at that, and especially after a year like twenty twenty one was, you go, "Holy cow, those were great teams." As a Clemson fan, we we don't realize how good those teams were. And it's hard to win, Jimmy. It's, it, it, it is. I know that, you know, I think a lot of fans were getting really aggravated with Dabo this year when he said right. some things like that. But it is hard to win. Right. I mean, ask but, any coach. Ask, ask Nick Saban how hard it is to win. Right, right. And, and so you, you, were, you were wrapping up your tenure at Clemson Insider as all of this, you know, this is really – this 2021 season was actually really the first kind of hard season that we experienced, have experienced in probably – 11, 12 years as, as Clemson fans. Yeah. What's that say with 10 wins? And then we still <laughs> finished 10 and three. Yeah. Now, were we the best team in the nation? No, we weren't. Um, did we suffer a lot of um, just terrible injuries and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. So w- as a writer, 
Um, did you knew, did you knew, wow. Did you know it was going to happen kind of before it happened? Did you know <laughs> that NC state was going to be a, a big trial? Did you know? Oh, I, um, I think after the, after the Georgia game, I knew a lot more Yeah. after the Georgia game. Uh, and I knew that Georgia team was really good. I didn't, I don't know that I thought they were a national champion. I watched them. But, right. Uh, after that Georgia game, I, I think I kind of figured out that nothing was going to be easy for this team. Right. I will say about this season, like, when I was making my top ten list, my number four on the list is this whole season. This season oh, was fun. It was a fun season. So it was a you fun never season. Knew what was happening. It's like in 2018 as a writer, right? You know, every story from every game was done at halftime, except for the Syracuse. Yeah, you know, yeah. like we knew what was going to happen. Clemson was going to win by 40. You know, you had it typed up, and all you had to do was insert the scores and the scoring. Yeah, you know, all I had to do was put the total offense numbers and how many first. You know, that's all I had to do. Um, I just had a story that I ran the whole season. Not, right. And I did the national championship. Not really, but uh, that's what it felt like. But this year, it's like, you know, every game was different. Uh, every game came to the wire. Right. Uh, it seemed like from a, a perspective of being around the team that, like, that win in the, in the Cheez-It Bowl. Yeah. I think Clemson celebrated just as hard in that win in the Cheez-It Bowl in the locker yeah. room in the postgame as they did in Santa Clara in 2018 when the national and, championship. And, and the thing that was rewarding to watch, I would say, and I, I saw you literally saw the team grow and mature. Yeah. And they fought because even the fan base was against them. I, yeah. I, and I don't want to say like, it's oh, my fair. gosh. But but especially, and I'm going to just say this, it's going to be – yeah, I'm going to go on record. It's going to be rewarding to watch DJU this year. Yeah, he's lost 20 pounds. He's, he's in a better headspace. All this stuff, that's what people don't understand. They like, forgot how good he is. And they, they forgot forgotten. all the – they didn't see all the stuff that he was going through. Right. You know, it's like – I think a lot of times fans forget that they're talking about, you know, 19-year-old kids. Right. They're not talking – these aren't professionals. Yeah, they, they get NIL now. I think, you know, there is a responsibility, maybe accountability that comes with that, but – at the same time, it's like the dude was 19 years old. His parents just got divorced before the season started. Right. You know, he was injured the whole year, right? Uh, and dealt with multiple different injuries, and and that takes a toll on a guy. You know, and and, and I think people just didn't want to give him the respect that he deserved as being a 19 year old kid. Right. Know? And and the thing is, is that as a fan, you don't see that much less. Even the guys that read the message boards and read the articles from Clemson Insider, there's, you know, that's a that's a smaller percentage of the fan base that shows up in Death Valley on a Saturday, and and they're still going, oh, you know, listen, y'all, DJ, DJ is, you know, he's not done yet. I, I'm just gonna, you know, but hey, you know, I think it's, you know, let people think, you know, what they want to think about him because I think he is poised to prove a lot of people wrong this year. And I think it's healthy what he's got behind him pushing it. Yeah. Because, it, you know, watch out if if DJ goes through and we have a good year. I'm not saying national championship. I think it's a one step at a time, see what he can do, you know, before he, you know, before we start cashing our, or, you know, buying tickets to the ACC championship. But I think it, he's not going to be the same kid this year. Right. I, th- I think so too. But this year was fun because of just all the, Ups and downs, uncertainty. I've right. really enjoyed this. Right. So maybe let's. Uh, I think that's a good opportunity to kind of start talking about your top ten Clemson football moments. Um, so we can. 
I want to I want to start with you, and I uh, you know want to start with ten, and then maybe once we get inside, like maybe uh, maybe three or four, I'll start talking about a little bit of my my honorable mentions. Now, um, I I asked you, I said, hey man, just kind of make a top ten list of of your top you know top ten Clemson football moments. So, um, what do you got at number ten? All right, so a little bit of a preface. When I did this, I they're not all they're all things that I witnessed. Right. So I made that as a, a qualifier. So right. it's not like the top ten moments of all time or anything like that. Right. Uh, I also did I I included some things from my job that weren't necessarily Clemson football moments, but more Clemson athletic moments. Right. So I I think I'm I read the instructions wrong. No, 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 no. This is cool. This is cool because it kind of brings a different perspective to the table. Yeah. So there are some other events and and things that I covered that I put on the on my top ten. But it's it's by and large football. So. Okay. What what you got for number ten? Number ten, I've got the first practice of fall camp every time. Okay. Why? Because you walk in there, you know, you've been starving for football for months, and Clemson at the beginning of every first fall practice in camp they play the boys are back in town and it's just one of those moments that every time i hear that song i've been gonna think about that because that for me that's when football is back is when is when camps and that's why you have media events and stuff in the summer but when camp starts in you know at the end of july beginning of august that's when football starts for me okay so this is this is actually cool. I like this perspective because I'm I'm more on the fan side of things, and so I, you know for me in, in football moments, you know the the ten impactful football moments for me, um, I think I have to go with number ten being the 2014 uh, Clemson USC game where the streak oh, yeah. was broken and finally 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 you know this was this was literally a one legged man at a rear end kicking contest. Um, with D, uh, DJ, with Deshaun, you know, and his, his torn ACL and all that. And, of course, the fallout from that game of, oh, well, Dabo's, you know, unethical for playing a guy that's got a torn ACL and all that. What, what was what was reporting that like? Yeah, I mean, at that time, you know, I was in high school during that. Uh, but even just talking with Will and stuff about how they reported it. <laughs> so the Clemson Insider reported that Deshaun had torn his ACL before anybody else did. And when they did, everybody hammered them for doing it and said it wasn't right. true. Uh, and, you know, Clemson called and was like, you can't report that. That's not true. And they were like, no, it is true. We have multiple sources that are <laughs> confirming that this is reality. This actually. Right. So there was all that going on in the background with the TCI stuff. And then when Dabo came out and actually said like, oh, he had a torn ACL, but he said that after the game, <laughs> everybody – nobody was like, Oh, you guys were right. You know, everybody was just reporting it. Like, I can't believe that Deshaun Watson uh, toward ACL. Like, right. How bad was, was the tear? Months ago. Yeah. How Do bad I, was the tear? Do you know, was it a complete tear? Or was it a partial tear? It was a partial tear. It was enough to where you could still play. I mean, oh yeah. Okay. It wasn't. It up. Yeah. Put a, put a brace on there, throw a little, give him a little shot and he was fine to play. But that's definitely, that is a huge, that was a huge, that was a huge moment. And I remember just the, one of the plays from that game being um, Artavis Scott's where everybody was like, Oh, he's out of bounds. He's out of bounds. But when his heel and it kind of sums up the game, like, you know, finally the tables had turned when Artavis's heel landed on the hand of the USC player, which allowed him to carry on into the end zone to score. And I I think I was at that game as a fan and that was, that was, an awesome play. and it was it was just like finally so that that's one of my top moments so number nine for you what do you got uh for me it's i would say the 
the first time they ran down the hill when I was covering a game. So that was Kent State. And, you know, just being there working as they were running down the hill was a different experience, was super cool. So were just you- because, you know, I, I was there. I was in the – I was in the press box. I was okay. working. I wasn't just there as a fan. That was that was really impactful. But every year, the first time they run down the hill is like right. It's, it's a tear jerking moment. You know, football's yeah. back. You know, yeah, let's do it. And as this year, lame as that sounds, it's like you know, I'm gonna love this year specifically is because is it a home game or a away game against Georgia Tech on on Labor Day? Uh, I think I it, anyway, we play Georgia Tech on Labor Day, and, and if it's at home, it's gonna be that much more awesome. So. Um, yeah. But um, my number nine, now, uh, by your timeline, I'm not sure if you were at this game or not, but it was the 2014 Orange Bowl win over Ohio State. I was, I was at the, on my couch. Was, was it 2014 or 2013? Orange it was the 2014 Orange Bowl. Orange Bowl for the, for the 2013 season. Okay, yeah, it, that always confuses us. Anyway. Oh, it confuses me too. Don't worry. And so, <laughs> it, you know, we had, we had just received our first or our fifth uh, loss to South Carolina. Um, we went on to win the ACC, and then we got into the Orange Bowl. And uh, the moment – I remember the moment of elation, the moment that Stephon Anthony made that pick to seal the game was almost – That was a, a crazy game, too. Oh, gosh. I almost – Dodge goes out. All Clemson needs to do is run the clock out, and he throws the interception, and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, you got to be kidding me. It's how we're going to lose. Because we're still shaking off that phrase that we don't speak of in the media or yeah, yeah, as yeah. a Clemson fan. <laughs> And and still you see it ha- you start to see it happening or happen and you're like oh gosh here we go um, but yeah so what was your number nine uh, my number nine was the run down the hill okay number, number eight uh, one of my favorite things to do as a reporter is this is one of the non football ones is one on one interview okay so uh, you know just it's just you and them and you're sitting there and they're kind of opening up everything about the program to you so. You know, there were several that stood out to me of my, my time uh, at Clemson where I just got to do one-on-ones. Right. Uh, you know, I did one with the the new lacrosse coach was one of the things I did before I left, which was super cool because she's, right. you know, talking about starting a new program from the ground up, something that's never been done. Uh, did it with the, the women's soccer coach, volleyball coach, basketball coach. Did it with Monty Lee uh, talking baseball. And, I, man, I just love having not having the restraint of other people asking – questions and you can just kind of take your narrative where you want it to go right. so that was and that it's probably was i guess it's probably cool too is sitting across from these people and and really kind of treating them like normal people rather than fanboying and geeking out as a fan would yeah. like just sitting down and like really hey let's talk about your program let's talk about what's going on treating them as normal people i think that's a cool aspect too let me ask you this what's your um what was your if i were to say hey favorite all-time interview or person to interview is there one person like favorite interview that sticks Man, out. I love I love interviewing uh James Skowski because <laughs> that dude he just doesn't have or honestly this year I only got to interview him a few times but Will Shipley is going to be one of the all-time great Clemson interviews right because they're there every now and then there's a guy that comes through that's like I'm going to answer your question honestly right. you know instead of just not right. that other people are lying, but just they're not giving you the coach speak. They're telling you how they really feel. Right, right. Now, now let me ask James you this. James Skowski and, and uh, Will Shipley are two of the people who did. So, does Shipley beat ETN's record before he leaves Clemson? I, I don't know. That's a hard record to beat. That is a hard record to beat. Probably not. I'm going to say – I'm gonna That record not, stood for a long time. 
Yeah, who who was it that had the record? It was a running back from North Carolina, what or North Carolina, North Carolina State. State? Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so we, you just gave your number eight, right? Yeah, number eight. Okay, so my number eight. Um, this is a personal one. This is back in the years that before. Imagine this. Imagine college in a world without solid Wi-Fi. Um, and th- this was 2004. And beating Miami in Miami in overtime, double overtime, the Jacoby Ford touchdown catch. That was – I remember being um, – I, w- I was hanging out with a bunch of friends from, from North Greenville. We were in downtown Greer, and I remember just – I don't remember the name of the coffee shop, but we were seeing um, Jacob Johnson play, okay? <laughs> um, and it was a local guy from cool. Travelers Rest. Do you know Jacob Johnson? You know yeah. Jacob Johnson. Yeah. Okay, anyway – um, having, uh, you know, going there to see him play. And I, it went into, um, one of my friends sent me a text saying, Hey, Clemson's in double overtime. You need to tune in and watch it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I, the only thing that I could do is, is go to my car. And I remember, um, listening to Pete Yannity, um, call the Clemson game. And, and he, you know, as soon as he made that call, you know, there's orange in the end zone, or whatever. Um, he, uh, <laughs> He, uh, I remember. That was a pretty good impression. It, it, it was right. I don't. Oh, um, it's great. But as soon as he said, "There's orange," you know, and I cut the car off, and I just went running through the streets of Greer because we had just beat a top five Miami team. Yeah, Miami. mine was for that game. I was running around the living room. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I, I think I ran to like the front door, and I was like banging on the front door. Right, like right. running around. It was crazy. Right. So, what was your number seven? Uh, my number seven was my first ACC kickoff. Oh. Um, but thinking about it, it might be – I might actually think the one that I did where I was on Radio Row might have been my favorite ACC okay. kickoff. So were you uh, with, with WCCP? With no, that? I had a radio show in high school uh, my senior year on a local station in TR, and I got a uh, credential to go up there for my show. Dude. So it was me and my friend Bubba, uh, Phil Pot, and we were sitting there and you know, coaches just roll through and players roll through and you just talk to them. But we got our list, and our list was terrible. I mean, like our best interview on our list that they gave us, our signed list, was uh, Dino Babers from Syracuse. So, I'm, And that was probably know, when, he, when he first got the job at Syracuse, too. Yeah. So I'm Nobody scrambling. knew who Dino was. I'm scrambling, and we ended up getting a bunch of other people to come through just from, you know, I went up to Timberay, was talking to him, went to the Miami people, talking to him. I ended up getting Mark Richt, uh, Ben Boulware, and Dabo to come through. Uh, and that was just a cool experience. Just you know, it was just me and Bubba talking to him and recording interviews on Radio Row. We also did a thing. Uh, we wagered with Quack and Kelly because they were there uh, for Adam LCP. We wagered with them that uh, if they beat this is funny, if we beat them in cornhole, right? They had to come on our show and eat crow. And if they beat us, we had to go on their show and eat crow. Okay. So you know, I won't say that we threw the match. Uh, but I, I will say that we didn't play a great game of cornhole and ended up going on there. So that was cool. That's but that was even, a, that was I mean, that's cool experience. from uh, Quackenbush and Kelly's perspective because I mean, like they're they're reaching out and having fun with lower level. I, no, no you're high, you're in high school. They, they didn't have level. to do that. Yeah, that's just who, that's just who. I mean, I've known Quack for a long time. I know you're, you're friends with uh with Be Nice Brian Narciss, right? And, uh, was he? Has he been on the show? Um, you actually beat him. I'm actually trying to get things lined up with him tomorrow. So, so the guilt trip met, worked. So I'm just saying. Okay, I met Quark actually because he he lived with Be Nice, and that's how okay. I met. Okay. He lived with Be Nice and Robert, 
that owns the Clemson Insiders uh, Lake House. So there's there's a possibility I could interview William Qualkenbush for the Table Podcast. There's, there's a possibility. There's a solid possibility. Solid possibility. Anyway, um, so uh, was that seven for you? Sorry, I'm, I'm seven for me. Springs. I can't count. Um, I'm from DR, man. I can't <laughs> this is the blind lead the blind here. All right. So for me, um, I have to set this up too. Uh, in in high school. Um, the church that I went to uh, did a did fundraising efforts at Clemson by uh, doing a um, the concession stand right underneath the student section. So okay. at the at the time we did the Clemson Grill and we offered fresh hot dogs and fresh hamburgers. And so we also offered Tiger Stripe. I don't know if they do Tiger Stripe anymore. They do. Um, I don't know how they do it, but anyway, I don't know if they do it in the concession stand anymore. But Tiger Stripe still exists. Right. We we were the only. Uh, concession stand on the home side to offer Tiger Stripe. And so we had lines from the student section. It was backed up all the way to the bathroom doors. And, and like, it, anyway, long story long here, I, I was eight, 17, 18 at the time. I was the only one allowed to work the Tiger Stripe. And of course, 17 year old boy, you know, getting to work the Tiger Stripe counter. Yeah. Heck yeah. I, I'd love to do that. You know, all the, all the young ladies showing up anyway. Um, <laughs> And so uh, we got to work the Carolina game that year or the Carolina game my senior year, which was the Carolina game of 1999. And, and you know so how old I was or that Carolina game? You probably, I'm going to go ahead and say, were you, were you still in diapers, dude? I was less than one year old. Oh my gosh. You were still I turned one old. a week later. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so you're, you're, you were literally the age of what my son is right now. Oh my yeah. gosh. Dude. Okay. Anyway, um, because we were so swamped, I had to work literally up to like the last three minutes of the game. And I finally looked and they told me to shut Tiger Stripe down like five minutes to go in the court. And so I got, you know, my drawer reconciled and all that money handed over. And they looked at me and said, go watch some of the game because they usually give us a whole quarter to watch. I had just enough time. I ran to the top of the hill. And you know how they had the, well, they probably don't have it now, but the handicap section is right there to the left of the hill. And so it was swamp, dude. I couldn't see anything. So finally, I just jumped. I climbed up on the rat, the the back of the handicap section, and I was hanging off the aluminum uh, bleachers right there of the handicap section. And I remember plain as day watching Rod Rod Gardner make the catch too. And creating separation that one. Uh, creating separation, yes. Creating separation, of course. I'm never going to admit that that was a push off. Um, it's creating separation. What do you mean? Push right, off. right. <laughs> He's creating yeah. separation. Just the like guy was all over him. He had to create separation. You know, it's a rub play, right? Just a rub play. No big deal. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I remember watching it, and and I remember um, really, if there was a moment for me to say that I fell in love with college football, it was because I had been a casual Clemson fan because it's right of passage in this area. You're either either or at this point. I'd been going yeah. to Clemson games, but I was up on the rafter. Rod Gardner makes the catch, and I remember when he comes down. And the ref runs over and pulls his, you know, makes the two fists and pulls them down towards his chest. I remember pushing off those rafters and putting my hands up in there and just jumping and just like losing my mind. And then that's not a that's not a little jump either. Um, no, it's not. <laughs> and then then I got back up. That then I realized I'd lost my spot because somebody climbed up. You know, oh, he just jumped off. You know, and so I ran kind of. I found a little opening in the hill to watch the the field goal kick, but like I was there for the catch to in 1999 Clemson USC. So that was my number seven moment. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. My number six is uh, another non-football 
uh, it was being at the ACC softball tournament in Louisville this past year uh, for Clemson after they, they won their regular season regular season title in season two and right. made it to the championship game. I was all alone. You know, I, I drove six hours by myself, stayed with friends, and uh, was covering it by myself. And, and it was a really awesome experience just to, to be there for that, for a, a different kind of event. It's, right. I, for people who are watching this who haven't been to a, a Clemson softball game or – you know, haven't been to a softball game at all, you need to go. Softball is a fun sport to watch. And that was a, a really fun team to watch last year. And it's, it's a young team, too. It's a young program. They just yeah. have, It's just gotten underway. Now, I, I, I of course, I, I kind of stayed more towards the football lines. Sorry. Did, man. Um, Why are but, you apologizing? Uh, I'm the one that did it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I, I think the perspective you're bringing, man, is, is like from a writer's perspective and maybe some of the stuff that we haven't heard about either. Like, it's really cool. Um my number six moment, uh, is it number six? Yeah, we own six. Once again, six or seven? Six. Six. Sorry, counting again. Um, for me, it was the Georgia Tech Thunder and Lightning. Um, I remember that, that one watching on TV because I was yeah. supposed to go, but I had a stomach ache, so I couldn't <laughs> go because I was sick, and my mom took my ticket, and I didn't get to go, so I watched it at my, my uncle's house with my grandparents. Right, but, and, and the Thunder and Lightning game was um, monumental to say the least, and it gave, once again, it gave, Clemson fans a glimmer of hope that year, and then it was so greatly crushed later on. Which that that yeah. was that no that wasn't the year we went on to the ACC because we had James yeah. Davis as well. Boston College, one yeah. of the Boston. Oh. College. Yeah, that was almost a moment that made my list. Was but that the Matty Ice in the Matty yeah. Ice in the Valley? Yeah, and then the hand whole jerk. His white jersey was orange because he'd been harassed the oh. whole night, and then he yeah. just and, clutched. And um, that was the game that I drove through the night from New Orleans, Louisiana. The night before, less than 24 hours before the kickoff of that game, I was sitting on the front porch of the house that I lived in in New Orleans, and I drove through the night and got all my stuff. I moved back from New Orleans that day and got all my stuff thrown in the garage and, and a shower and to the game, even tailgated a little bit um, and went to the game. Dude, I was so tired. I was so tired at the end of that, and I was so frustrated because when – I mean – the ball was placed perfectly for Aaron Kelly, and he just did not catch it. Which I didn't mean to bring up all the bad memories. I know. Anyway, that's what I remember from that season. Okay, now we're getting into the top five. Yeah, um, this is. I, I can I, almost guarantee you that maybe our one and two are going to be the same. Um, I, but, I think I can guarantee that. Okay. Um, well, then again, I what you know, I wasn't there for the sixteen championship. That was my senior uh, high school. Okay. So, all right. Okay. So in a in my all time Clemson list that would be that would be number one okay uh, so so what was your number five my number five so i changed this one okay i originally made an atmosphere pick uh and and went with clemson georgia and charlotte just because it was clemson georgia right okay. and covering clemson georgia as a somebody that grew up a clemson fan is like a huge deal it's but a the rivalry game, game we need to play every year yes and people don't understand that and yeah. i don't get it uh, but I changed it, and I actually put – so last summer, Will Vandervoort and I went to a Braves game uh, against the Giants because we were going to cover Steven Duggar. Okay. Uh, played for Clemson was on the, the Giants roster. He was starting for the Giants. Going to cover. I like it. I like how you phrased that. Nice it was going to cover. It was going okay. to cover. All right. So, I mean, we got credentialed, so we were working. Right. Uh, but three weeks before – or two weeks before the game – Duggar got optioned to AAA when they brought in Chris Bryant. 
So we were like, shoot, we're credentialed. We got to go, but we got to find something to do to work. So we went there and we talked to, to Frenchie, to Jeff Francoeur, <laughs> uh, and talked to him about, you know, he's a Clemson fan. We talked to him right. about being a Clemson fan from Georgia. And, you know, Clemson had uh, two guys that made different decisions when given the same options that he had coming out of high school. Right. In, uh, Bubba Chandler and Will Taylor. Okay. Uh, and kind of talk to him about the difference in their two decisions if you talk to them and that kind of thing. That was that was a cool experience uh, because I you know I'm going to take credit and say that the Braves won the World Series because I went in. You hey, know, you I were started. there though. That was that was an awful. They awesome won that series, and that was kind of a pivotal. That was a pivotal right. series when they were starting to turn things around. But right. That was a cool experience, just being you know on the field during BP of a major league baseball game, and you know, not many people can say that. Yeah, not not very many. It was a it was a super awesome event. So that okay. was my my number five. Okay, so my number five, of course, to kind of still staying in the lines of, of football. My number five is the Notre Dame Hurricane game. Uh, the, um, that was uh, and specifically my McKenna, her best friend's husband is a Notre Dame fan, and they had spent some time week before whatever, and so we were kind of texting back and forth, and and. I kind of feel like Notre Dame fans are a little bit like Clemson fans. We don't want to, when it comes to big games, we don't want to run our mouth too much because of, well, before the national. You met some different run. Notre Dame fans than I have. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I guess I have. Um, maybe he's just being kind to me. I, I guess. Uh, Ryan, I'm going to give you that credit. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt there, Ryan. He's Um, one of the pious Catholics. (laughs) Um, But that, that Notre Dame game um, and the goal line stand, see, we came out first half of that game and, and absolutely put it on them. And I thought it wasn't going to be a competition. And then the combination of the weather and halftime adjustments from Brian Kelly's Fighting Irish kind of made it a, made it more of a game than I personally believe it should have been if the ground had been dry. Um, but ifs and buts, once again. Um, and I just remember the Ben Bolware stand and, of course, the flip after he he stops. Um, and who's the, the, the Notre Dame quarterback from the, the option run? which looked very similar to the uh, North Carolina game. That last play of the North Carolina game looked very similar up until the point to where Sam Howell, like, aborted the whole thing and tried to make something happen. Um, so it yeah. looked and felt very fam- familiar. So what was your um, – um, what was that perspective? Well, yeah, for, we'll, we're going to oh. get it for it. But did you write or did you do anything that game? No, that game I was – I think I was covering a Furman game that day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in high school. In the rain. Yeah. But that game was, I mean, that game was, you know, that was the moment, I think, when that is the official moment when Clemson became who it is. I mean, there were other, other, plenty of other benchmark moments that started the run that that Clemson's been on. But that that play in particular started what we see now. So what do you what do you got down for number four? Number four. uh, So I had that was where I had this whole season. uh, But I had something that I was thinking about that I should have wrote down that I was going to change it. <laughs> but I, I can't remember. But the, my number four was this season just because of, you know, of a, everything that could have went wrong, went wrong. Right. You know, point blank period. The attrition list was, you know, longer than your arm of yeah. guys who were injured, you know, this season for Clemson. And they just found a way to, to scratch and claw and, you know, go out on a winning streak and, right. you know, and you know, just do their thing. Yeah, uh, it, it, at that point, it did. At that point in the season, it did come. It was almost like they were playing for dignity at, at some point. Like it was like, okay, the ten win season streak came into play, and, and it was almost like they rallied around the troops. And I, and I, I still like it was a great moment for me to, you know, once again go down to into Columbia, 
Uh, so many, so many Carolina fans that week just were kind of very hopeful. Like, if this is the year we're going to beat Clemson, it's going to be this year. They're down. They're blah blah blah. All on and on and on. And they just absolutely forget how to play football. And <laughs> we go down there and run all over them. We don't do anything fancy. Great to see the glimpse. I think it was the a, a pass by DJ to Bo Collins. Yeah. I think it was great to see little glimpse of of maybe what's kind of resurfacing with DJ, but like well yeah, I think I think just that game in that game in particular is like, you know, Clemson Clemson's mindset changed after that Pittsburgh game. Mm-hmm. And they went into every game with, with the mindset that we're still Clemson. Mm-hmm. You know, we we've been here, we've done this, we know how to how to win games. We're right. just gonna rely on and Dabo said this a hundred times that he said, we're just going to rely on the foundation of our program. You know, right. that's, that's what Dabo said, and that's what they did. That's and that's that's why they ended up, you know, winning 10 games, and it still didn't get any kind of respect from the national right. media for winning oh, no. 10 games. No. I mean, I think no. Brett McMurphy had Clemson, like, ranked 25th mm-hmm. or not in his top last top 25, and it's just like, dude, they won 10 games. What are you talking about? Right. Um, from an attrition standpoint, uh, the fans were incredibly hard – on the program without really taking in, I would say without even to take into a factor, the attrition that they saw. What really was a gut punch for me when I heard reports post cheese it bowl, that there were very few scholarship players that actually started and played that game. Um, and, and the attrition had gotten to that point where a lot of your top line, you know, yeah, DJ had some problems this year, but he he experienced um, it, it was tough to do what he did or or to pass the ball when you're working with third and fourth string receivers. Well, um, yeah, and he also that was if I was going to say what the most disappointing part of this season was, it was not DJ. Yeah. Um, but DJ for the second half of the season, he had nine fingers, half an arm, one leg. <laughs> I mean, it, the dude was just banged up right. as he could be, and tough as nails, just stuck it out, and you know. Kept showing up. He never threw a fit in a post game interview. He never he never got mad uh, or took anything out on the fans, no matter how unfair they were being. I mean, I had all this respect for the world uh, for that kid, right. just the way that he handled everything this year. So knowing what you know, um, post and we'll get we're going to get to spring practice here in a minute. But is there a possibility that he transfers out? Knowing I mean, what you know about the program. Lot. There's always a possibility, but I mean, he's he's not going to transfer fall, transfer out before this. Okay, so you think you do you think he'll at least play through the 2022 season? And I mean, there's there's some. I mean, he goes pro after that. Where, there's some scenario where he could leave, but I mean, he's going to enter the year as the starting quarterback, right? So, and and a lot of a lot of the message boards blew up about uh, Big Dave and and his uh, Mateo, his brother. They're, they're, it, it looks like Mateo's leaning Southern Cal. And so everybody sees, yeah. you know, um, Lincoln Riley transfers or, or transfers. <laughs> he <laughs> takes the job at USC, the USC. And um, the next, you know, within the next few weeks, you see Big Dave out there. And, and it was, you know, he was working recruitment for Mateo. But the Clemson message boards start to absolutely lose their mind because, it was, oh, no, you know, with, with Cade coming in and DJ's going to transfer to USC and blah, 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 you know. Um, yeah, I think that's all just hope. Yeah, that's and, and, and that's too, like, the message boards are just a completely, you know. Yeah, there's one message board on particular that's like the Wild West. You can't trust any single you, that you, you, It rhymes with Schmeigerschmidt. 
I'm not going to single out anyone, but some of them, some message boards are monitored and some message boards are not monitored. I know which ones you're talking about. And, and yeah, I always, I always love to go on those message boards and watch the meltdowns happen. Those are, See, I always love going on message boards and delete and dump comments. That was my favorite thing. To do <laughs> so you were kind of a moderator too, as you work for Clemson. Yeah, we were all moderators. We didn't okay. let, but we didn't allow people to, you know, say horrible things about, Right, you know, 19-year-old kids. Right, 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 right. It's one thing that I was waiting All right, all right. So we're at number four, right? You're number four now. I'm number yeah. four now. Okay, all right. And so then I'm on. number three after you're number four. Okay, yeah, that's how it usually works, right? Because I can't count. Um, for me, uh, the Clemson-Louisville game out, it kind of beat out Notre Dame, the Notre Dame-Hurricane game, just because there was so much hype. It was the Lamar versus Deshaun, you know, and it was – as advertised, and it came down to literally the last possession. Um, you know, I say I think Quick doesn't step out of bounds. He makes the first down, and Louisville goes on to win that game. But it didn't happen, and that was the beginning of of the twenty was the twenty sixteen um, run back to or to the Natty. And so um, that was my number four, and that was really kind of a coming out show too. I mean, not a coming out show. It was just like a really good football game in the valley. Yeah. So. Yeah, man. So what was your number three? My number three, uh, I had South Carolina games in general, but my favorite one that I covered was uh, the one this year at South Carolina, the 30 to zero, just because of the all the narrative going into it that, you know, oh, well, you know, we're back and there's no way that Clemson's going to beat us this year. If we're going to beat them, it's going to be now. Or we're never going to beat them. And, and then Clemson just walks the dog on them. You know, they couldn't do anything. Uh, and, and then once on the way back – on the way back, we stopped at a gas station, and I was just kind of curious. So I went up there, like, you guys have any zero bars? And they're like, no, so people keep coming in and asking for them. This lady came and bought all the zero bars that we had. Carolina friends. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was good to see Will Shipley and, and Kobe Pace kind of do their thing, too. It almost, figured, it almost seemed like by that point um, that the offensive line had kind of figured out the run game at least, and they, they leaned heavy on that. And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, Tony Elliott caught a lot of garbage for the attrition and the, you know, just everything that that we went through this year, because it's one of those things where, you know, we don't have the attrition, you know, we maybe can make the playoffs and, but I don't think we make the national championship. Well, yeah, you know, it's always the offensive coordinator's fault. whenever. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, But it's cool to, cool to see, like, finally the inevitable happened. We knew that, that like, inevitably Venables was going to go um, and you covered that too. I haven't asked you about that, but Venables yeah. was going to go and Elliot was going to go. We knew it was going to happen eventually um, covering the Venables fiasco. What the heck happened? Um, oh, there man. was somebody it's... hiding in a bush somewhere. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I love that when people go hide in people's bushes. Okay. So that, that was the fiasco and they were taking pictures outside of, but there um, was, here's the, the funniest part about that though, Jim, is that, Anybody that had sources already knew that he was meeting with Oklahoma. That right. So there was no need to go take pictures in his bushes if you have people that told you that that's what was going to happen. I mean, right. it was it was a crazy, crazy thing. I mean, there was a the Venables watch thing was probably my favorite. Everybody's like, oh, well, it's you know, it says it's three o'clock on his watch, you know. So there's no way that this and that. Like it was just so funny, just. All wow. the sleuthing that went on online to figure out what was going on, and then but Oklahoma it, shows up and grabs him, and and literally 
Man, that was a crazy two weeks with the Elliot and the with Elliot and then with Venables and then you know, Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis and some of these other guys. Right. Just all the tracking down all that stuff and calling people all day and trying to figure out what's going on. And I was also trying to do it. If Sweeney, if Sweeney had not promoted what's Goodwin, would he have gone to Oklahoma? Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, Wes was Dabo's guy. Yeah. Dabo probably. But then he had Todd Bates was Dabo, not right. Brent's guy. Brent, um, so. and, and kind of putting a bow before we get to our top, top three, putting a bow on the 2022 season and all the coaching changes. How do you feel about the moves that Dabo made? Was, was it as a writer? How do you I think, feel about it? I mean, I think he made good – all, the one that everybody's most critical about is the offense with Streeter, and I really don't understand it because Streeter has way more experience as a coordinator than Jeff Scott or Tony Elliott did. Uh, he was a, a coordinator for six years at Richmond on some dang good football teams. Yeah. Was one of the most innovative offensive minds in individual football at that time. And nobody's given him credit for it and thinks that he's just, you know, some, you know, Quarterback coach right. that's never had any experience. I, I yeah. think Streeter's gonna gonna be a great move. I think Clemson's offense will look different. That he'll add new wrinkles. You're not gonna see the the Elliott Scott offense. Yeah, uh, the jet sweeps. Form. <laughs> what? The jet sweeps. Yeah, you, you're gonna see different stuff. You're gonna right. see innovation, and he's gonna be able to make his own. I think it'll be a good move. And then Wes Goodwin. I mean, when you've got Bruce Arians talking about how much he wanted him to come back to the Bucks. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty good endorsement. Not not just Bruce Arians, but Super Bowl winning coach Bruce Arians. Yeah, that. that's a pretty good endorsement. Right. So I think yeah. I mean it's it's definitely going to be different. There's adjustment that happens when there are different people, you know, taking over roles. And that's something Clemson hasn't really had to deal with is coaching yeah. turnover. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they respond. But I don't think it's going to be a major bump in the red. Right. Well, that, <laughs> I, I I think um, I'm excited to see it. Because I think people that forget and go back and watch those Richmond offenses that Brandon Streeter oversaw, um, they were snapping the ball 90-plus snaps per game. Yeah. So we're going to have that wrinkle back into our offense. If I mean, I know that Elliott and, and Scott put their foot on the gas when they needed to and up the snap count when it played to the advantage. But, um, you know, we haven't seen those snap counts consistently since um, Chad Morris. So um, that's going to be something fun to watch. So – um, have you already done your number three? I did three. Yeah. Okay. I, oh, sorry. We, we kind of rabbit trailed there for a second. My three is, is I believe monumentally that this is the, the play that started the climb up to the mountain of the national championship. And I was in Athens, Georgia when it happened, but fourth and 16 was forever. And, and, and yeah, Taj Boyd never beat Carolina. Yeah. Taj Boyd, there's a lot of things that we can say negatively about Taj Boyd, but I love Taj. Taj, Taj it was a great. He was a great quarterback, and he's, he's a great, he's a great he's leader hilarious. too. Like he's, he's awesome, awesome dude. Um, but fourth and sixteen, and the, you go back and watch that window in which he fit that ball into Nuke Hopkins, and there's only one other pass that I saw that I've seen completed like that. In in my history, and and I know there's you know this is and I guess which pass it was. Uh, Go ahead. Was it Deshaun Watson throwing the ball between three Georgia helmets and uh, in Sharon Peak? Yeah, in yeah. Athens. I was, I, I was there. I was there. I don't, that, I don't that, know how that ball found its way in there. And that <laughs> that game, um, like that, the Georgia fan, Georgia, like the stadium, thought that it was an incomplete pass, and they went in an uproar when the referee signaled touchdown, and they reviewed it and all this other stuff. And 
couldn't couldn't believe it happened. But um, fourth and sixteen was, and of course you go on, and of course that fourth and sixteen isn't validated unless the field goal's made and all that. But um, that was a moment where Clemson, little old Clemson from the ACC, stepped up and and punched an SEC powerhouse, and, and it was it was a moment that started the climb. Yep. So your number two. What's your number two? My number two is the Fiesta Bowl 2019. Okay. Uh, All right. Interesting. So we're not we're not the same on the two. Yeah. Number two just beating Ohio State in that Fiesta Bowl and you know all the crazy stuff that happened in that game. Were you there covering it? Yeah. Okay. Also, there was a really funny moment that happened in the press box where uh, on the incomplete pass that some people thought was a fumble, uh, <laughs> that this Ohio State writer that was sitting behind me slams his hands on the table after the review and screams obscenities uh, I was about, to say, about the play. It's a family I'm not going to say show. what he said. They start right. screaming cuss words in a press box. And I turned around to him and I said, I turned around at first and I just kind of looked at him like, what? And then he like gave me the, almost like bucked up to me or something. <laughs> and I said, dude, you're cheering in the press box. And everybody around was like, ooh. <laughs> I remember you tweeting about that because it's a, it's a code of conduct. Like, it's a, a gentleman's agreement. Like, Well, it's you, not a gentleman's agreement. It's announced before every game. Oh, you're expected no not in the, to cheer. Yeah, no cheering in the press box. Oh, if wow. you cheer, you would be escorted out. And then, oh, wow. this is the first game that I've ever worked where it wasn't announced. And uh, he does that, and then I said it to him. And then I turn around, and I see his reflection in the mirror, and he's you know, giving me double birds uh, in the mirror. <laughs> And I, I'm like, whatever. Will looks at me and he goes, dude, you're going to get in a fight. Like, you can't be doing something. Like <laughs> Especially to with an like, Sorry, man. I need, to, I need to be being an idiot. So this was the, this was the 30 to zip blowout with Deshaun Watson. That that was the. No, no, no. This is the this is the back and forth. Clemson came back from. Oh, okay. From yeah. Being okay. Down to win the game in the end. Nola Turner interception in the end zone game. Oh yeah. Uh, and yeah, so. After that, I'm like super stressed because I'm like, you think oh, a guy's going to beat your tail in the parking lot? No, I'm thinking the playoffs going to pull my credentials for the national championship. So I'm like all stressed. These people are coming up to me. Larry Williams uh, from Tiger Illustrated comes up to me uh, in the restroom after the game, and he's like, "Good job, Alex. You, th- I'm glad you said that." And I was like, "Thanks." And then I, but I'm still like, "Oh, great. You know, somebody's going to call, and I'm going to whatever." Right. Well, I'm on the way back. Uh, and I road tripped out there with Rachel and her parents right. uh, out to Arizona. And I get a call from Will. And I'm like, hey, Will, what's up? And by this point, it kind of went like mini viral, like that a Clemson student writer called out a seasoned Ohio State reporter. Somebody, some Arizona sports writer tweeted it. And it was on like uh, Pardon My Take, the Barstool show they were talking right, about. Right, right, right. And they're like descriptions of me are going out. They're like blonde hair, glasses. You know, I'm pretty. I'm a pretty obvious Hell's person. Bono looking joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm freaking out. And Will calls me. He goes, "Hey, Alex. Uh, Ross just called me. It's that's Clemson's SID, Ross Taylor. He's like, Ross oh, no. just called me. And I was like, Oh God, what he say? And he goes, He told you that next time he sees you, he's gonna shake your hand and tell you thank you. And I was like, Oh, good. I'm good. I'm in the clear. Uh, so so you, that was. It was literally a situation where you were saying what everybody else was thinking. Yeah, it's um, just nobody else had the gall to say it, I guess. I mean, and it, took I a, it took a young kid in a sports reporter booth or the press Yeah, it's box. like I've been in press boxes since I was you know, 12 years old, and I've never cheered in a press box. Right. And right. this guy was screaming at officials. It's just so that, how hard is that to do, especially when you're covering a game like the game like Clemson-Louisville 2016? 
Like the only they- time that it is, I guess, the only times that it's been hard are South Carolina games. Right. Because I just hate South Carolina. And you've got South Carolina people around you, especially and now. So I'm just the, biting my tongue. The radio announcers, were they completely separate from you guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you didn't have to deal with Todd Ellis. Great. Yeah. So, but yeah. So South Carolina games and then the national championship is probably, it's like, a li- but I've never had a moment where I like made an outburst or like gasped yeah. loudly or anything like that. It's not right. like I was, you know, having to put my hands over my mouth, but it's still like just your emotions yeah. at the end of a, a game like that or heightened. I can't, I can't from a personal side, personal experience side, I can't be beat your number two moment but my number two of course and i know this is a controversial maybe controversial but maybe the majority of clemson fans will will agree with me but it was the bama beatdown in the bay um that was number two it, it was almost a solidifying because um when we beat bama you know years before in the natty it was kind of a you know you lucked into that one you know you, you caught bama on a bad day or, or a bad quarter and we go down that we we go out to the bay and we just absolutely like you. I've never watched a Nick Saban team self-destruct other than and and maybe there's other examples. But when Tua was picked off by AJ Terrell and you heard Kirk Herbstreet in the background in the press and in, in the announcers booth going, "Oh no, oh," you know, like <laughs> like Kirk knew something was up and and it was just like from that point on. And even the radio announcers, when they when just when um Trevor down the ball going into halftime, the radio announcers were like, "This game's over. There's no way Bama's coming back from this one." Yeah. And they just kept on pouring it on after halftime. Were yep. you there reporting that game? Yeah, yeah, I was. Well, that's my that number one. Line. That's my number one. That's your number one. Okay. Yeah, that's my but, number one. So just just that game being at the national championship, standing on the field. You know, as a kid, I've. I never thought Clemson would play in a national championship as a kid, you know. Right. Like, I just didn't think it was possible. Yeah, I thought right. it was just it's something people dream about in 81, you know. Right. Uh, and then they, they win it when I'm a senior in high school, and then I'm there in, in 2018. And, you know, standing on the field before the game, just soaking in uh, the environment. You know, the weather was great. You know, it's like 80 degrees, light breeze, and, you know, standing on the field, the right. uh, – the scoreboard in the background has like the the Clemson Alabama logo, the national championship, the playoff right. logo, and uh, just standing on the field before the game, and it's sinking in that holy cow, I'm in a national championship. And then you know at the end, standing you know on the field with confetti coming right. down, you know talking to you know, from a personal aspect, interviewing guys that I'm friends with after they just won a national championship. That's and, cool. From a professional aspect, just being at on the biggest stage, you know, right. covering the the team at the top of the mountain was a really, really that I can only imagine. Like um, a buddy of mine called me. I actually interviewed him on the podcast a couple of episodes ago. And you know how you have those friends in college that kind of try to push you to do hair brain ideas. Well, I was a student pastor, and and we could have made the trip happen, um, but I would have probably still been paying it off right now. Um, it, it, he called me. He was like, dude, let's fly to Vegas. Let's rent a car. We can rent a car cheaper in Vegas and, and drive out to Santa Clara and we can make it. I can stay. And he has family that lives in Santa Clara. And so we could have stayed in Santa Clara for free and gotten tickets to the game. And because they were already dirt cheap. And I kind of regret it now. I kind of regret not doing that. Although I would have probably still been paying for it in more ways than one. Um, but it was just, it was, it was a lot of fun to watch it on TV. I can only imagine um, how loud was the eruption when when AJ Terrell intercepted that ball? 
Well, here's the thing about the press box. There are two kinds of press boxes. There are open air press boxes and there are closed press boxes. Okay. It was a closed press box. Oh. So you, I think I think that press box may have been mic'd. Some of them, at, especially at NFL stadiums, will be mic'd mm-hmm. uh, where you can hear crowd noise from outside. Right. Uh, but there was definitely – when things happen like that, there's chatter right. in press boxes. Right. And all the Alabama people were like, oh, you can't believe yeah. – you gotta be kidding me! You know that. So, then all the clubs of people were like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe you gotta be kidding me!" <laughs> that just happened, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so, so writing, writing, and reporting for that game. At what point did you feel the momentum and the energy and and the the Bama sports reporters kind of really go, "All right, there's no way we're coming back." I think maybe that uh, the field goal, the fake field goal, the fake field goal where um, homeboy come up the middle and sack the dude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that might have been one of the moments. That was, I mean, there were several big moments in that game where it was like, like the Trayvon Mullen interception, the AJ Terrell interception, right. the, you the, know, the Justin Ross catches. Yeah, the pulled. Justin Ross catches. Good there God. were a lot of moments I think that signaled that uh that that it was over in that one. Yeah, and so it brings me to my number one. My number one is the Natty in Tampa Bay, only because it was the as a Clemson fan the first Natty in thirty something years. Thirty five. Has to be number one. I mean, yeah. and if you're making an all-time list, it has to be 81, 16, 18. That's yeah. what it has. I, I don't know about 81. I, man. 81 has to be number one all-time. It's the first national championship. Clemson has no uh, chance of winning one in 16 or 18 if they didn't win one Okay, in okay. I'll, I'll, you, I'll give you that ground um, because I was thinking of it from a point of like, man, it was, it was like down to the wire, you know, um, but I wasn't alive in 81, so. <laughs> True. Um, but that's why we're not making an all-time list. We're making Right, right. But I think the thing that um, the thing that kind of put it past the the beat down in the bay was um, the fact that it was the drive that ended in the play, and of course the coin phrase of you know the the let's go be great, you know, um, yeah. and and Deshaun goes out there and he redeems himself from the year prior, which we're it's crazy to think that we're we're an onside kick and. Um, you know, a total of four, tight end away. We're, we're a total, we're, we're total 14 points away, less than 14 points away from having five national champions. Yeah. Think about that. Um, yeah, anyway, um, but that, that one, uh, I was sitting in, in my living room and just a nervous wreck. And when I still can't believe that Hunter Renfro made that catch, like it, but it was wide open and he makes the catch. I've watched that video on YouTube so many times where, you know, little man makes another enormous play, blah, blah, blah. And it, um, it has to be my number one. Um, now, of course, I'll, I'll give you the ground of, yes, 81 has to be number one if we're doing an all-time um, just because. And, and actually, I don't know if I told you this, but I got a Homer Jordan jersey. Um, that was one of, yeah, the memorabilia, me. one of the memorabilia things that Tim uh, gave me. Um, so do you, do you keep tabs on Clemson much as, as you know, as now much as I can. I mean, yeah. I'm bu- I'm busy. You know, I I'm working every day doing you know high school sports and all the fun stuff. Right. Indo- I did, I covered an indoor football game on Saturday. That's cool. Rapid City Marshals. Okay, so you're so, getting you're getting some football action in. Um, what's one of the big things that you miss about the Upstate? Maybe even about Clemson being around Clemson. Uh, I'm. I mean, a lot of things. The food. The food. <laughs> food. The food. Sweet food. <laughs> Sweet tea. Um, my friends, my my right. people, Rachel. Uh, but you know, from a work perspective, I, I miss the my colleagues, the people that I, that I worked with and alongside. Yeah. Uh, there's just a great group of of beat writers that that cover Clemson. Uh, Matt Connolly, right? 
Alexis Kubik, Grace Rayner, uh, Will Vandervoort, uh, Larry Williams. You know, this it's just a a great group of of folks. Davis Potter, the Southampton Insider now. Right. Uh, Just just a great group of people to to hang out with. A great group of people to go on road trips with. You know, the road trips would not have been nearly as as enjoyable if I didn't have you know other people to go experience the the town and the city that we were in with. So two things before we kind of wrap up, man. Um, I want to ask you this. Uh, what's one bit of wisdom without telling your 11-year-old self, giving too much indicator, too much knowledge about what happens in the future? What would you, if you had the opportunity to sit down and talk to about five minutes to your 11-year-old self, what would you say? Uh, from, a, from a career perspective, I'd tell them just to, you know, keep being hungry and, you know, keep doing your thing. Right. Uh, from, you know, just a, a life perspective, just like, rely on your friends and, and trust the Lord. Like God's given you good friends, yeah. uh, you know, lean on them yeah. kind of thing. So that those would probably be the two biggest things. And don't be such a hard head when you turn like 17, 18, 19 years old. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't be. A, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, cool, don't man. Dummy in as a sophomore, junior in high school. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, do, do some kind of, uh, plugging and, and social media stuff. If, if people that are listening to this and they want to, Follow Alex Dodd, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Also, what you write for uh, wherever you know where you're writing in. Um, in I keep on wanting to say San Diego, but it's South Dakota. Excuse me. <laughs> Man, why. it would be nice to be in San Diego. Would be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, well, you can follow me on Twitter at Alex Dodd Show, A L E X D O D D Show, S H O W, and all my links to my articles and stuff are on there. And that's probably the best way to follow me. And you know, I've got some stuff in the works with some other South Dakota uh, re- young reporters that maybe we're going to get something going in the form of a, a podcast or a, you know, something here soon. Just Well, I'll offer my, my services up from the podcasting standpoint. Um, you know, Hey, if you ever need an interview, just let me know. I, I would offer you no content whatsoever, but Man, um, I'd love to hear you talk about the jackrabbits and the, uh, the coyotes and what's <laughs> exactly. I'd have to do some boning up on that. Um, but, but yeah, man, well, dude, I, thanks for sitting down with me, man. Um, gonna have all your information posted. Um, just do me a favor and email all your information to me where with everybody can get in contact with you. Um, and dude, thanks for sitting down at the table with me. Dude, no problem. It's always a great time at the table. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Table. Any information about today's guest will be in the comments section of this episode. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or snide remarks, feel free to email us, thetablepodcastsc at gmail.com. See you next week here at The Table. <laughs>